Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Veg Grower Podcast. My name is Richard and I am on a mission to grow my fruit, vegetable and herbs in my allotment and my garden. And I hope to inspire more people to do exactly the same. Now this week's podcast is a little bit different. We've got no diary updates for you this week. We're going to save that for next week. Reason being is I've got a really long recording that I want to share with you. Yesterday I was at CD Sunday, which is an annual event held in Brighton every year. It's a huge seed swap event. It goes on every year and for me I often feel like it starts off the season. But this year I was very kindly invited to take part in being on the panel for their local gardeners question time. And much like the radio show Gardeners Question Time, members of the audience ask the panel questions and we have to try and answer them. A lot of fun, I have to say. Now, this event, because we were in Brighton Open Market, it's a bit unusual. It was a limited number because we were in a little room up above. A limited number of audience members, which also meant we didn't need any microphones or anything to talk to the audience. So that made recording this audio a little tricky but I managed it and I think we actually ended up with some half decent quality audio. So let's get into it. First of all let me tell you who was on the panel. There was myself of course, there was Kate Harrison who is the chair and runs CD Sunday. There was Ruth from Brighton and Hove Organic Gardening Group and there was Kate Bradbury, a very well-known wildlife gardener. So let's get into it and see what happened. The first question that we had came from a member of the audience, of course, and the question was, she has been busy clearing beds on her allotment, but she is noticing badger or fox poo on one of her beds, and does she need to worry about what's going on? Let's start with Kate. Yeah. <laughs> is it definitely badger poo? I'm not sure. It's It could be because we have badgers. Okay, if it's a badger latrine, then... I think you're going to struggle because badgers have very um, regimented ancestral roots that they take and their latrines mark their territories against other badger sets. So if it is a badger set, if it, a badger latrine, you can clear it and they'll just keep coming and pooing in it. Yeah, um, yeah. So I would, um, what would I do? If you can get a little camera, you can get a little camera for about 50 quid um, and put a lot of trail cam on and see who's doing the poos. Could be hedgehogs. Um, they're, big, it, they're big, they're big. They're big holes. They're big holes and they're all in the same spot. In in the plot, yeah, sort of all in this one patch of plots. Sounds like it could be a bad tree, which, uh, yeah, would be, would be problematic. Um, but if it's not, if it's fox, then I would still clear it away. Um, and then and then put some well-washing in your wind or something like that, or, you know, compost or whatever. Um, but I probably wouldn't. It's not like it's dog poo or cat poo or anything like that. But I'd still I'd still be a bit wary. If you're growing food, yeah, just to be able yeah. And really, I need to cover it with veg really after that, don't I? <laughs> to yeah. stop them coming, or will they just keep will coming? Will they stop coming? I mean, I don't know. I I, <laughs> I put cameras out every night and watch foxes wheel over my snowdrops. I think they just you know they. <laughs> <laughs> like marking their territory wherever they can. So, mm. 
Anything to add to that, either Ruth or Richard? I was just going to say, get a wildlife camera or a trail camera, yeah. as Kate said, just to confirm it is. But it is, what can I do about it? Live with them. Not nothing. Enjoy them. And just, just let them, yeah, let them do. Okay. You, can't, you can't really stop them. Efforts to stop badgers always end up badly yeah. because if you put a fence up, they knock it down. Yeah. That's their route. That's yeah. their ancestors. So, yeah, I think I would just give up on that one and go over to the other one. Mm, I have a list of uh, proverbs here. I've got 30 proverbs, so in between each question you get the chance to hear a proverb. But what I need from you, somebody, call out a number from 1 to 30. Four. I had three first. And the proverb is, do not carry your year's burden on one day. Not quite sure what that means for gardeners, but that's good advice for me with CD Sunday. Right, next question. <coughs> the next question we received was from a lady in the audience who had a hawthorn bush. And unfortunately, the hawthorn bush needed to come out. It hasn't really flowered or anything like that. But she wanted to replace it with something suitable for birds. And could we come up with any suggestions? Let's see what we came up with. So let's, Kate, we won't put all the burden on you. Let's yeah. see if uh, Ruth has any thoughts about yeah, that first. That's interesting. I did a thing. I did, on, on our last course, um, I put a little bit about hedges because winter is a good time to plant a hedge. And people were quite interested, so I did a little bit of research and am I able to remember very much? I, I planted, without great forethought, and when I was still relatively young, planted a, a, a typical native wild hedge thing which was hawthorns quickthorns blackthorns um all sorts of thorny stuff and as time went on i really regretted all the thorniness of Absolutely. it um, so what did i think i thought a flowering hedge would be quite a fun idea if you don't need it to be too tall so i think i thought um buddlia and um that Potentilla and rosemary, mm-hmm. and um, there were a couple of other things that are kind of medium height mm-hmm. flowering shrubs. You could even put some winter ones in there, like um, winter honeysuckle, so you get some fragrance in the winter. Um, Dada, Viburnum, Bodnum, Tensi, which is a wonderfully fragrant one. And all of those are quite easy to keep pruned down to a reasonable level. Um, those, yeah, that was, that was my, what I thought was a fairly creative idea and fairly easy to do and just really nice for um, wildlife. Not so good. Oh, and, and, and some wild rose in there as well. Okay. Yeah, okay. maybe a bit of bramble in there. Yeah. Kate, any further thoughts on that? Um, I was wondering, is, was it quite shady? Is that why it's not flowered? I think there were male plants, I'm guessing. I don't but think hawthorn. I don't know. It might have been, yeah. But it was from being cute, hawthorn. When okay. I first moved in, I thought, wow, so they're might... rips and they're nice and cheap. Okay. I left them, Kate. Honestly, I've left them for two years, <laughs> thinking I was maybe cutting off. Yeah. So I kept it at the right height, <coughs> so okay. too high. But no, it's never, they've never flowered. Mm, so they don't have the various, so, so the whole point. So it's not, um, so it's not a case of it was shaving, because it gets, it gets enough sun. Yeah, it's just yeah, bad, the, the, the garden faces south, and the hedge goes east to west. So okay. Yeah, <coughs> okay. 
Um, I mean, I take on board what Ruth was saying about the thorniness, um, but I still really love a mixed native hedge. Mm. You could try getting hawthorn from better sources. So uh, somewhere like Habitat Aid is really good. They sell like little packs of mixed mixed hedging. Um, Naturescape, do they? I think they do. But they do whips of nice things. And there's like locally as well. We've got the permaculture um, mm. up at Stammer, haven't we? And they yes. sell whips of things. Special branch. Yeah. Special branch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've not heard of special branch. Oh, Stammer. Yeah. Yes. I mean, like flowering. All the lovely flowering sort of buddies and stuff, they're sort of really pretty. Mm. But if you want sort of caterpillars and, and insects actually <coughs> using the leaves, then it's best to go native, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously the birds, when they're stopping off to your feeders, they'll sort of pop in and, and, and eat lots of um, invertebrates. So I really like buckthorn, alder buckthorn. Mm-hmm. I think hazel makes a really nice hedge. It doesn't flower, though. I'd probably give hawthorn another try, but get it from a best source. And then obviously nice. wild roses, as, as Ruth said, as yeah. well. And another thing I thought was elder as well. Yeah. If you have the purple elder, elder which is gorgeous, <coughs> mm. it doesn't. It's not as vigorous, and okay. it flowers are pink. It's but beautiful. It's just, yeah. That elder, nice. isn't it? yeah. Yeah. Okay. Any thoughts, Richard? I was going to suggest elder as well, yeah, and buckthorn nice. and hazel. Yeah. Um, another thought I did have, going from the edible aspect, currants can make quite good hedges. So your red currants, black currants, and white currants, mm. yeah. planting those along make really nice hedging. And the birds, like, they rest in them. They rest in them, they eat the berries as well, so they get a bit of a, bit of a treat. Mm. Crab apples as well, actually. Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. Like native crab apples. Time for another number, please, 1 to 30. 23. 23. An empty stomach knows no wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. <laughs> Next question. Yes, oh, yes. Um, I've been feeling very anxious about buying anything from garden centres. Um, but then I heard that people like me and you have now banned um, nicotinoids in their flowering plants. So maybe I should feel less anxious. But I would just like to be clear about whether it's okay or not. Because we're getting this kind of tiz about whether it's, you know, where to buy things from, basically. So, what, what's people's views on buying things from garden centres? I'm going to start with Richard on this one. I've had a lot of disagreements with garden centres over the years, I'll be honest. Um, my first course of action, go to a local nursery. Mm-hmm. Chances are they're going to be grown locally, they're going to know more about the plants and you're going to get better knowledge from the people mm-hmm. selling the products as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a few around, around this way, isn't there? There's, mm-hmm. there's some here. Easy, so it's, it's a bit, yeah, but yeah. yeah sorry? I don't have a car, um, but yeah, I can get lifts maybe, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, local nursery local would nursery. be my first call. Yeah. Because of the pesticides in the garden centres, is that? Is that well, it's probably more than that. It's probably it? more than that. Yeah, there's yeah. lots of things, and the, the people who they often employ—I shouldn't say this—but don't know really what they're doing. Yeah. Unlike a nurseryman who really does know okay. their stuff. Many yeah. mm. mm. thoughts. And there's that really good organic nursery in Peacehaven that I think you went to once, didn't you? Yeah, it's like an hour on the bus, but yeah. Yeah, but I can give you a lift over, mate. <laughs> Where do you live? Um, in Hollandin in Brighton. Okay. Um, I mean, yeah, I echo what Richard says. In, you know, in sort of being local. I think being cute. It's all right sometimes, isn't it? I mean, you know, if they're banning neonicotinoids, but then there's all the other stuff that they could potentially be using as well. And I think Dave Golson did a um, 
survey a couple of years ago where they sort of mm. actually bought a few plants from garden centres and looked at what was in the compost. Mm -hmm. um, and they found all sorts of fungicides and herbicides and insecticides. And then they asked the garden centres where along the chain those products had been added and the garden centres weren't able to tell them. Because mm -hmm. it's all mass produced and, it's, and there's no... There's no chain of, there's no knowledge. Mm. So we don't know what's going in there. And they can say it's peat-free, but is it peat-free? Does anyone know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would sort of, I mean, you know, we're all human, aren't we? We're, we're, if you've got to walk somewhere and being here's the closest place, but also I try and avoid it. I mean, online shopping, you know, mm. there's lots of really good peat-free, um, like, na like Naturescape is really good. Yeah, um, and uh, what is, what's um, Rosie Bee Gardens, she does um, special bee plants and she does bee mixes as well. You could check with One Garden and see how organic their stuff is. Yeah, I wonder about One Garden. I don't I think know. it is actually, they say it's peat free. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it might be pesticide free as well. Yeah, they grow up it themselves. Yeah, that's what mm. I was thinking. Yeah, most of it's grown from Yeah. Is that right? Okay, that's good to know. Mm. Yeah. So they would know what's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They yeah. labelled up the ones that they... And last time I went, it was nearly all their own stuff. Mm. It's good quality as well at one point, Nice. Right, another number. One to thirty. Seventeen. Seventeen. Oh. This is from Afgan Afghanistan. A gardener's flirtations should take place outside the garden. <laughs> Let's have another question. <laughs> Any more questions? Yes. Um, we garden on quite long, but thin balcony. So I'm really keen to use the vertical space, mm. but it's really, really windy. Mm. So, yeah. Mm. Really nice. Any, come on, Richard, any ideas? Yeah. Are you able to put any scaffold netting up to reduce the wind? Um, not really, because the, the roof, the wall is the roof, the roof right. is the material, so okay. you can't really put anything. So you can't put scaffold netting up at all to try and reduce the wind or... We've got, we've done a few bits, like sort of things of pallets that are kind of... On the wall, structures. yeah. Well, no, it's free, they're freestanding. Freestanding. Yeah, right. because we can't actually attach anything, so it's more... I'd really like to sort of lots of climbers or tall yeah. things, but... It's so windy that. So, my, my sort of thing is you want to try and restrict that wind coming in or filter it out a little. Yeah. My first thought was scaffold netting. If you can't do that, have you thought about anything like a current bush again <coughs> on the long stems just to try and reduce that wind okay. coming in? And that might, that would cope with the wind probably. Yeah, oh, currents okay. can, if they're flexible, they'll move with the wind. Yeah. Um, that was, would be my thought. I don't know about mm. anybody else. Um, can you fix some really sturdy trellis to something and grow ivy up it? Sure. Yeah, it's tricky because we have to build a big structure. Yeah, we've right. sort of done quite a bit mm. of building of structures. It's just more what the plants can cope with them. Yeah. Wind tolerant plants. Yeah. yeah. Grasses. Yeah. Hebes. Yeah. What about you've got railings, presumably? Got railings, yeah, you so you can attach, attach stuff yeah, to the railings, railings can't yeah. you? Yeah, we could do that. I'm a bit stumped, sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. I mean, we've got, had some ideas already. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the current bushes are yeah, an interesting one. Nice. And things like lavender and rosemary. 
Yeah, yeah those Mediterranean ones. Do you not think so? Uh, I think in winter the winds might just really hurt. We've got, them. we've got quite a lot of lavender and it, it, it seems all right. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it, doesn't grow, it doesn't grow as high as no, the okay. somewhere else. It's kind of clinging mm. to the edge, yeah. but it's, it does all right. Hmm. I guess just trial and error, really. If you've got a really sturdy pot, really heavy pot, I don't know how. I mean, I'm assuming your balcony is quite sturdy. <laughs> but I'm just thinking a really heavy pot filled with lots of heavy soil and a sort of, you know, a tree, yeah. a potted tree. Um, it would just need to be a tree that sort of did all right in the wind. So something like a bay, maybe? Like a, bay, a lollipop mm. bay? Yeah. Um, something like that that's just a bit sort of more robust. Um, I get really bad winter winds and everything. I'm just trying to just go through my garden as all of the things that are just not very happy at the moment um but yeah i'd try to go for a bay maybe if you're gonna grow a tree in a pot or some conifers mm, the conifers mm. yeah mm. and things like cordylines and um that that kind of stuff palmy things palmy things yeah mm. yeah because they cope quite well with wind don't they well they're designed to cope with wind they've got their long stems to make them really, because they're designed to be on windy beaches and things. Yeah, I've got three of those on my windy balcony. Oh, uh, they're yeah. quite slow growing, but they, they, they can take anything the weather throws at them. Mm, nice. They're just completely impervious yeah. to the wind, I think. Mm. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, well, good luck. Thank you. Mm. Um, another number? <laughs> 30. 30. Oh, we like this one. We looked at this one earlier. This is from Ghana. Um, a tree doesn't disapprove of itself because one of its branches has been cut off. Hey, I'm just interrupting this podcast briefly. I just want to remind you to please kindly leave a rating and review on your podcast provider. It really does help us out and get us seen by more people who love to listen to this podcast and Lynn once again has left a review on Spotify where she really enjoyed Jenny last week we're going to be hearing more from Jenny in the future but added to that if you want to help support this podcast then please consider becoming a member of our supporters club for just £5 a month, you get extra behind-the-scenes podcasts as well as a collection of seeds sent to your door each and every month that you are a member. All that for just £5 a month. To check that out and find out more, head to thevegrowpodcast.co.uk. But let's head back into this local gardener's question time. The next question was one I could very confidently answer. A lady in the audience had a olive tree in a pot. It's been growing in a pot for a number of years, but it was really starting to look quite poorly. Unfortunately, she hasn't added any nutrients or anything to it over the t- this time that it's been in the pot. Yeah, it definitely needs nutrients. The, the tree has absorbed all the nutrients yeah. from in that soil in the pot. Yeah. so I've, I've got an olive tree in a pot myself so what i do once a year in winter i dig off the top inch of the compost oh, yeah, and then yeah. add fresh compost mm-hmm. and then during the summer i actually there's an olive uh fertilizer i feed that every two weeks and oh, okay. um, wow. i'm guessing your olive trees and putting out many leaves and just looks a bit like a stick it's not it's not as horrendous as that. Right. But it's just You're doing better than mine did then. Everyone else's it's a bit Yeah. It's not so good, so it's not terrible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It needs some love, Need some love. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Did you say there's special fertiliser? Mm, olive. Yes, there is. You, you yeah, they come in little black tubs in garden centres. I think it's called Olive Focus, the one I use. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Also, oh, sorry. No, yeah, go ahead. Um, I'll just check that you're using a loam-based compost as well. You're not just using multi-purpose compost. Um, you shouldn't really yeah. grow trees in multi-purpose compost. So something like a Johninus number two or three, you can get peat-free Johninus number yeah, two and three now as well, um, which is just it just lasts longer. Multi-purpose compost, it's got enough nutrients in it to last plants about six weeks. Yeah. So if you've got a plant growing in there sort of permanently, um, it's just going to be starving. Um, so, yeah. Um, and I would check base of the pot as well just to make sure you haven't got roots coming out of the bottom yeah because um, it might mean that you actually need to repot it if sure, you yeah, absolutely. do this and it needs repotting then i'd repot it into soil based compost and then do what richard said about yeah. um top dressing every year and it should, <coughs> should be better mm. anything you want to add to that no no um another number six, six. Um, this is from China. The rose has thorns only for the one who would gather it. Mm. <laughs> Can um, I actually ask a question? Yes. <laughs> um, from uh, the experts, some tips about growing um, in in drought conditions and kind of thinking about climate change and the fact that we are getting more and more unpredictable weather, which mm. it really is going to include drought and heat. So, top tips. Mm. Install as many water butts as possible. Yeah. Collect as much rainwater as possible. I've got 16 in my garden. Mm. I'm trying to get to 32 because I know someone likely who's got 32 and I'm going to beat it. <laughs> 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 Anything yeah. other in terms of the actual <coughs> production? Mulch, mulch, and mulch. Yeah. Yeah. Plenty of mulch. Cover that soil as much as you can uh, to prevent evaporation. And keep the hoe running through the soil as well, because uh, just running that through creates a bit of a, a, a softer soil on top, which again shades the sun and stops it from evaporating oh, further down. Kate? I, I was really taken with oh. what you said in your talk, Kate, about how you shaded your green. <laughs> yes. uh, I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> share that again. Uh, thank you. Uh, so I, in my talk uh, before, I was talking about um, how I sort of let the natural rhythms of... Um, a sort of nature cycle, sort of just sort of live in my allotment, and um, and so my greenhouse was just absolutely covered in um, nettles and bindweeds and brambles in summer. But that's nature's natural shading. Mm -hmm. I don't need to shade my greenhouse. And then I two, which was a drought year. Mine got up to forty four degrees, but hers got up to fifty four degrees. Ooh. So um, and my min temperature was eighteen, and her min temperature was six. So I. Basically, the upshot of this was I got better tomatoes. Um, in terms of other drought things we can do, um, so yeah, water bus is huge. Save water when it's wet to use when it's dry. Um, mulching, growing plants closer together. I think um, as gardeners, we're often sort of told you must leave space for the plants to grow, but then you're just leaving these little little areas of, of, of soil that just evaporate moisture. So I think growing things closer together, underplanting. So as um, for us who are growing food, um, we can underplant with um, green manures, low-growing green manures, so things like clover and, and, and vertebrate trefoil. Um, I'm sort of experimenting with that a little bit, so I'm sort of growing these little sort of patches of, of low-growing green manures and then planting into that. Um, I've just, at home, 
this is more sort of a flood prevention thing. Um, but if we all did it, imagine how much water we could prevent from going into our sewers. Um, I just had a new patio put in, and as part of that, I just um, ran a pipe mm-hmm. from my downpipe mm-hmm. into a, a. I've made a soakaway in the garden, um, and I've made <laughs> patio man. Like, I'm not doing this. I was like, you are. Um, so we have <laughs> made the soakaway higher than you would normally make it, so that when the water, so all the water from the roof of the house, um, it goes into two water butts on the wall. Um, the water then overflows into my soakaway, which I've directed. I've got them here to put to run the pipe. You're not supposed to put soakaways near tree roots, but oh, what are the rules there for if not to be broken? So um, it runs along the whole length of my border, so the water is delivered immediately to all my shrubs and trees. Wow. So potentially they won't be as drought stressed as they would be in otherwise. I don't know yet. It might all go to shit. But it might be okay. I think it's going to be okay. We've had a lot of rain this winter and I haven't mm. been flooded or anything like that. So, do things. The other thing I've done is dug a hugel bed. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I don't know if you know about hugel beds, but they're a really good way of storing, of sort of making a sponge essentially underground. So you dig about at least a foot down. It's a bit of an exercise. And then you fill it with the wood that you might have cut from your hedges over the winter. It's a wintertime thing to do. And so there's all this wood underneath the ground. And then you layer on top with, with um, compost and twigs. And so that it's quite a big mound. When I built it on the wheel, people were saying, what, have you got a dead body underneath <laughs> there? Because it sort of looked like... <laughs> Uh, it's a, and it's still a bit of a mound, even a few years on, actually. Um, and it's... Uh, sorry, that's my phone pinging. So what happens is that wood rots. And you know how spongy wood goes when it starts yeah. rotting? So it's holding the moisture. Yeah. And, it, and it, it's working really well. I've got three now. Mm. And it's also a way for me to store my... To, to put my wood somewhere, because mm. I don't have a lot of space mm. for wood, not burning it, mm. and so it's a slow release of the, mm. of the carbon. That's a good from carbon the wood. Sink, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's my kind of mm. trying to yeah. make my garden more drought tolerant. It lasts for years and years and mm. years, the effect yeah. of the wood. Yeah. Have you found that it takes nitrogen away from plants? So people have said that um, when I was researching them. So for a first couple of years, I, I, I planted it with beans and peas. Yeah, so it's um, and then since, uh, after the two years, I've started planting squash and chard, and it's been fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I found with those, um, they really attract wood lice. So things like yeah. beetroot and carrots got completely yeah, no, yeah. munched. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of wood lice in it. Yeah, yeah but yeah. squash do it very well in them, I found. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. nice. Yeah. Right, oh, right, another. Another um, thing to growing more perennial veg. Because you go open the garden allotment books and you only see like three possible perennial veg in there, the rhubarb, the asparagus, and um, the artichoke. And there's just huge amounts of mm. perennial veg out there yeah. that could be growing. And because they've got the bigger root systems, mm. then nice. they can pull up from mm. minerals and mm. water. And there's less soil disturbance if you've got those perennials in there. Nice. Mm. Yep. Um, thank you. Um, any other thoughts on climate-tolerant gardening? One thing we do, we've got a double sink in our kitchen, mm. and one of the sinks in the summer we keep watering can in. Mm-hmm. You know how you turn the tap on to 
pour a glass of water, but you don't take the first bit, or mm. you turn samples to do washing up, but you need to wait for the water to mm, get warm. Yes. That water goes in the watering. Oh, nice. That's a good tip. In yeah. the shower as well. I've, yes. I, I keep a bucket in the shower. Mm. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. 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 Oh. Good. Another proverb? Another number? 22. <clears throat> 22. Um, <laughs> this is a Jewish one. <laughs> Only in dreams are carrots as big as bears. <laughs> I should hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hi, it's Scott here. And you find me sowing some seeds. And one of the seed packets that came in the supporters club pack has got me excited. And that's the rhubarb seeds. Something, to be honest, I never thought about growing from seed before. And I am wanting to build up the number of plants I have so I can use more of my established plants for forced rhubarb so I can produce more of the lovely tender pink stems that forcing rhubarb gives us. And growing from seed is going to be a cost-effective way of doing it. And with forced rhubarb season running from January to March, we will soon be in peak season for it. So I thought I'd share a couple of recipes that use those gorgeous pink stems over the next few weeks. And kicking off with something savoury and finishing with something sweet. And so, to this week's recipe. It's a bit of an unusual one and probably not what springs to mind when you think of rhubarb. But it's something I make every year now and it's a must if you're into your curries. And it is a rhubarb achar or rhubarb Indian pickle. Think lime pickle, but with rhubarb instead of the lime. It obviously goes great with a good curry and poppadoms, but I also like serving it as a condiment with some nice grilled pork chops. So, let's head to the kitchen and hear how it's made. For this recipe, you will need 500 grams of your finest rhubarb, cut into inch pieces, six cloves of garlic, sliced, one green chilli, sliced, 15 grams of diced fresh ginger, two and a half teaspoons of chili powder, one teaspoon of mustard seeds, half a teaspoon of fenugreek seeds, a quarter teaspoon of asafoetida, half a teaspoon of turmeric, one clove, one teaspoon of salt, eight curry leaves, fresh are best, but you can use dried, three teaspoons of brown sugar, and 100. 20 millilitres of veg oil. Method. Start by adding a couple of tablespoons of the oil to a pan. I find a wok works best for this. Then heat the oil, then add the ginger followed by the mustard seeds and cook on a medium heat until the mustard seeds start to pop. Then add the garlic, chilli and curry leaves followed by the rest of the spices and cook out for one minute. Then add the rest of the oil rhubarb, sugar and salt and cook together on a medium heat stirring occasionally for about 10 minutes. You want it so the rhubarb becomes tender and starts to stew leaving you with some whole pieces and some bits a bit softer. Now pop it into sterilised jars and that's the recipe done. It should last for up to six weeks in the fridge. If you fancy trying something a little different to go with your curries why not give this one a go? And that's it from me until next week. 
Well, Scott, you have made me hungry once again. Thank you so much for that recipe. I can confirm that pork and rhubarb do actually go well together. And this Indian chutney recipe just sounds delicious. Thank you. Now, next question that we received on CD Sunday was about gardening on the budget. There was a couple who had a new garden, brand new to gardening, but they didn't want to spend a huge amount of money. They were put off by the exorbitant prices they saw when they priced things up. Did we have any tips? Um, but yeah, okay, good. Gardening on a low budget. How about that as a question? Can we ask how large your garden is and how big your bay tree is? Um, our garden is around six meters wide by 10. 10, 11 meters. So kind of the size of this room yeah, is? Half, mm. half yeah. This room. Half. yeah. And how big's the bay tree? Um, I'd say like three to four meters high. Mm. And whereabouts in the garden is it? Like, it's like in like the front right corner <laughs> as you're looking out. So is it keeping path. a lot of sun off the garden? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but we chop it down quite a lot. It's a very, it's a sun trap. It's a south facing, mm-hmm. really sunny garden. I'm worried personally from experience because my neighbours have got a huge out of control battery. Yeah. It's pulling all the moisture and nutrients out of the garden and keeping a lot of the light out. It's, it's destroyed my garden. Interesting. Mm. I, I'm not a fan of bay trees unless they're in a pot. Yeah. yeah. And that, they grow so yeah. big. Yeah. So they're big. so big. Yeah. It's like a good hard prune now. You can prune right back down yeah. and they'll, they'll come back up. Yeah. Um, that is all we seem to do is prune bay yeah. trees. <laughs> 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 it does smell nice. Yeah. Yeah. It does smell nice. Yeah. You could take it out. Um, um, if... Yeah. It's huge. huge, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. We don't have any side access as well. Okay. So everything's free. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Right. Steps, okay. Which is a challenge, actually. But you, know, but you could take it out and make a nice log pile and then the carbon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to say that. Um, but anyway, that's, been... this is, so the bay tree's one thing, but <laughs> what about tips for gardening on a budget? Because I think that's a, a really good yeah. question in general, really. Yeah. So my first thing was make as much compost as possible. We all need, I never know the gardener to need, or has too much compost. We all need a lot of it. So make a lot of it. Kitchen waste, garden waste, anything compostable. Even underwear goes in my compost bins. (laughs) 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 You need to make it. Cardboard, you'd be surprised. Yeah. Start a compost heap. Start a compost heap, yeah. Seed swaps, obviously, good for for seeds. I do find that most plants is e- or cheaper to get seeds, but then you do need extra equipment as well. Have a chat, make friends with other gardeners, and you probably find you're able to swap tools, equipment, and seeds with those as well. Um, and seedling swaps. There are seedling so so Bog Brighton Hove Organic Gardening Group has an annual seedling swap in May. So you need to be a member, but it's up on the wheeled and it's a brilliant. There's always loads of tomatoes and often we plant more, you know, we, we raise more seedlings than we can plant because we always have to plan for a few not coming up. So you end up with more than you need. So you can bring them to the seedling swap um, and then they're often for sale very cheap at that time of year. Um, so that's a that's another tip. So like, should we save our seedlings? We save the seeds like from tomatoes that we eat, yep. and then try like that kind of yeah. Like, exactly. Google how to do it because tomato seed saving takes a little bit of um, 
a process, but it's very easy. Yeah. And also, it's not worth it's not worth sowing tomato seeds later than mid March because otherwise they they're really long from sowing to harvesting. And, and loads of people bring, you know, we have our seedling swap in May, often mid-May, yeah. and people are bringing tomato yeah. plants that are just that big planted. to swap, yeah. and they're not going to do anything. You need your tomatoes to be, you know, that kind of size by mid-May and ready to plant out, not that kind of size. So they need to be started um, early March, really, at the latest, so do you think on a sunny windowsill. Focusing on... A, like a seed or a plant in particular, and then working on that with a budget. Hmm. I don't know that you need to do that. I mean, um, you can grow lots of... Sorry, I'm answering now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, beans are really easy to save, and peas are really easy to save. Um, they're, they're, so you don't have to just grow one, one thing if you're... Um, if you grow one lettuce and let it go to seed, you get thousands and thousands of lettuce seeds. And I, I'm just thinking about Seedy Sunday, but it's lettuce and chard seeds are brilliant for saving yeah. to then get masses of seeds, alternative varieties back from your from your one plant's worth of lettuce or chard. So um, there's lots of things that are really easy to grow. Tomatoes aren't necessarily the easiest plant to grow. I know lots of people think that that's a starter plant. I don't think tomatoes are very easy. There are a lot of other plants that are beans. easier. Uh, beans, beans are one of the yeah. easiest, yeah. Okay, uh, we've got a little bit of time. Another number? Oh, yes. Please go ahead. Yeah, the marketplace. Oh, yeah. All the Facebook um, local gardening groups. Yeah. And then some of those people were giving away plants and equipment and everything all the time. You get a lot of plant pots. People will often do a big clear out of their shed and they realise they've got masses of pots and, and, and you can also, also get those for free. At Dobby's garden centre, there's a place to put plant yeah. pots, but you can yeah. take them out as well. It's the same yeah. as squires. Yeah, yeah. they have to take the plants. Yeah. Yeah. There's always tons of plants. Loads. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, also alternative things for pots. So I've got an old pair of boots that I've planted flowers into as well. Oh. Um, nice. Just to stop it being wasteful as yeah. well. Do you like drill holes in the bottom? No, 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 no just, just leave them as they are. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've got enough holes in them anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Though. No, they go in the compost bin. <laughs> <laughs> um, another number? I think this might be our last proverb. Eleven. Eleven. Um, we've had eleven. Um, Fourteen. This is from Finland, and I think this is quite good advice, actually. Winter doesn't leave without looking back. Mm. And I take that to mean that sometimes mm. you feel like spring's here, and you think, and then it gets really cold again. Mm. That often happens. Yeah, nice. Um, another final question? Time for a quick question? Yes. Does anyone have any experience of using grey water? Oh. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, because Can you of, explain what grey water is first? Oh, yes, of course. Sorry. Sorry. So, grey water would be. You've got black water, which is the water that comes out of your toilet. Grey water would be your washing up water, your shower water, your bath water. Uh, basically, anything that would go down the drain. Can we use it in the garden, is what you're asking. My answer to that, I don't use it on anything that I'm going to eat. So I'm not going to cover my lettuces in water I've just bathed in. But on the grass, I know we don't really do much with the grass, but it saves it going down the drain and out to sea. I use my bath water, my sink on that without any 
problems. What I like to do, uh, so if I'm having a bath, I will get a load of buckets, pot it into the bath before I pull the plug, then pull the plug, leave it for the night, mm. and then they're already filled up. And That's clever. Saves time, <laughs> rather than trying to bathe it all yeah, out yeah, yeah, and everything. Yeah. And then I cut that outside and throw it where I need it to go. Sink water, I like to put it through a sieve so we don't get any of that washing up waste in the uh, garden that might smell. Uh, that's the only two caveats I can think of. Can, can I just ask, what about the impact of detergents and yeah. soaps on... I just thought of that as you were asking that, funny enough. I use a biodegradable detergent, so I get away with that. Uh, again, I'm not using it on food stuff, so it is a concern. But biodegradable eco yeah, I think, they're a good company for that. Yeah. Any thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, I use grey water, um, certainly in a drought year. We can't not use grey water, really. Mm. Um, we certainly shouldn't be sort of, you know, using the water from the aquifer um, as much as possible. Um, there's not been any real studies about detergents, whether biodegradable or not, on soil fauna. We don't really know how they get on. My view, my my suspicion, is that the soil is better hydrated than left to die, basically, or, you know, crack up. Um, Certainly, you know, um, we've had very, very dry springs over the last few years, um, and birds that eat earthworms or feed earthworms to their young, caterpillars, you know, all of these, these cycles are sort of starting to sort of mess up because the weather's changing. So I think it's really important that we keep that soil hydrated where possible. So I take the risk. I've got a water butt that's placed under my bathroom window. So the water from the roof comes off and fills up the water butts, but when that water empties, I then, when I have a bath, I've got a little hose pipe and I do the water. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then that goes into the water butt. And I t- I, we should use it straight away, really, because it can mm. bath water and just go a bit manky. Mm. But there we go. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? Just yeah. I've got to hold off on Twitter for, making, for risking my health. One final thing, on the, actually, another thing about the use of grey water. I think it's crazy that we pump perfectly good fresh drinking water to our houses mm. to flush a toilet with. Yeah. We could use grey water for flushing our toilet. Mm. 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 Yeah, so bucket in the bath. Bucket in the bath, yeah. straight into the toilet. Yeah, yeah. 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 it's true. It's really good. Yes. Yeah. Right. It's four o'clock. Wow. Quickly, didn't it? Yeah. So just to say thank you very much indeed to Richard Suggett from the Veg Grow Podcast. Well, I've got to say, what a good load of questions we received all through that session. It was a great idea. I have to say, it was a lot of fun to get involved. And let's see what happens in the future. We probably will do this again in the future. Well, while I won't keep you for too much longer, I just want to remind you to please rate and review and consider becoming a member of our supporters club. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast as well. I often forget to ask people to subscribe. Uh, You can find out if you want to get in touch. My email address is richard at veggrowerpodcast.co.uk or you can head to the website at veggrowerpodcast.co.uk or alternatively, you can find me on social media. Um, and with that, let's, well, until next time, please take care. <laughs>